0: okay have i got volume i've got some kind of volume i don't know how much but i've got some kind of volume so i think we're all right let me turn that up a little bit no it looks okay maybe just a little bit more there we go is that better the right kind of volume for this all right welcome to a morning of metaphysical speculation it's 20 past nine and i've got about 40 minutes so i thought i'd do a show it's a while since i did a show on here and i don't know if anybody's going to be around but then they may turn out to be to be somebody around who wants to have a conversation if not I shall just play something from the end supply of material on YouTube
1: right let's let's go for mckinder's world island i think i was watching some stuff yesterday channel on youtube quite appropriate given the war in ukraine the moment Technique the world Who
2: rules the world island commands the world it. go through its reasoning and assess its recommendations and insights. Spanned the period from Pax Britannica to the First and Second World Wars. He served as a Member of Parliament from 1910 to 1922 and was High Commissioner in Southern Russia from 1919 to 1922. All these experiences gave him a deep sense of British interests which informed his thesis. For Mackinder, geography is the art of looking at the past in order to inform the present. In other words, the characteristics of terrain influences the development of societies. As an example, lowland plains with little vegetation offer few defensive points from which to resist enemy armies, so such terrain historically tended to come under the rule of a single power, with defeated peoples completely overrun and annexed by the victors. Such thinking has seen Mackinder labeled as a geographic determinist who ignored the role of human agency in history. In reality, Mackinder allowed for acts of will, but also believed that nature in large measure controls. One could swim against the current of geography, but in the long run, successful societies tend to go along with and adapt to the flow. Mackinder also sees technology as equally influential to in history, shaping how geography affects societies. As another example, during his day, Mackinder regarded rainforests as inhospitable but envisioned that with technology, they could eventually support large populations. The Hartland thesis is as much a technology-based theory as it is a geography-based one. There are, in fact, three Hartland theses. McKinder sketched out an outline during a 1904 lecture called The Geographical Pivot of History, elaborated further in his 1919 book, Democratic Ideals and Reality, and finally, in 1943, had an article about it, titled The Round World and the Winning of the Peace. Each version was adapted to the prevailing political situation. The pre-First World War rivalry between the European powers in 1904, the post-First World War withdrawal of the European map in 1919, and the fight against Nazi Germany in 1943. There are differences in detail. The phrase geographical pivot of history is really only used in 1904, while the famous triad at the beginning of the video appears in 1919. The heartland's exact boundaries are adjusted with each version, But despite these differences, a common thread still runs through the versions, forming the core heartland thesis. The thesis starts with a simple observation. After 1900, there would be no more empty political space in the world. All lands would now be politically connected to some degree, with political events in London having consequences in China and South America. This much was obvious in the age of imperialism, but what was less obvious was that the relationship also held in reverse, with political events in South America or China having an impact on Europe. The thesis argues against regional politics. Politicians cannot be concerned simply about the balance of power in Europe or East Asia, they actually consider these things on the global scale, if only because there was one region generally ignored by leaders on the eve of World War I that helped to keep the world domination. The thesis splits the world into two parts, the world island consisting of mainland Europe, Asia, and Africa, and what this video will call the outer islands, consisting of the Americas, Australasia, and the offshore islands of Eurasia and Africa, chief among them Britain and Japan. Mackinder estimated that the World Island, in 1919, contained two-thirds of the global landmass and seven-eighths of its population. If any country or alliance ever dominated the supercontinent, it would easily outproduce the outer islands in weapons, soldiers, ships, and undoubtedly even nuclear weapons, and ultimately conquer them. Thus the last statement in Mackinder's triad, who rules the World Island commands the world. But how to control the world island in the first place? The thesis divides the supercontinent into two regions, the inner crescent or rimlands, and the heartland. The rimlands, consisting of Arabia, Western Europe, India, and East Asia, make up only one-fifth of the world island's area, but house four-fifths of its population. Using McKinder's earlier logic, this region ought to be the place from which to attempt world island domination. And indeed, Mackinder freely admits that in his day, the Rimlands were the more powerful part of the world island. This was because the period from 1500 to 1900 saw great advances in naval technology. Better ships let coastal Rimlanders travel faster and farther than anything on land, giving them large strategic flexibility. This meant that Rimlanders could bypass defenses, strike rear areas, and wreak havoc before land powers could even respond. Thus able to choose their battles, Rimland powers during this period had nothing to fear from land armies, and could therefore create their empires with little risk. But even then, the Rimlands could not dominate the world island. After all, they had not touched the heartland. The heartland is defined through its inaccessibility to naval power. The region is separated from the ocean by arctic ice to the north, the Carpathian, Zagros, Himalaya and Altai Mountains along the south, and the Arabian, Gobi, and Yakutian deserts in between. Its rivers either flow into inland seas or into the Arctic. Rimland naval forces therefore have no path into the Heartland, which Mackinder sees as the greatest natural fortress on Earth. The Heartland has two additional characteristics. Firstly, the region is primarily lowland steppe, and as mentioned earlier, such terrain generally results in one power taking control of the entire place. Secondly, the heartland's arid climate means that settled agriculture was historically downplayed in favor of nomadism.
0: Hello, South Osman.
1: How are you do? Let me switch this off for a second. Was
2: historically
1: home to Hello, dude.
0: Are you doing? Do you fancy a chat, or are you just in listening mode?
3: Yeah, hi, Dennis. How are you doing,
0: man? How are you doing, man?
3: Yeah, not too bad. Yep. Yeah, just seeing your you live, and I just thought, yeah, don't know what have you got any topic or you've been playing anything in particular.
0: I was playing a piece uh, uh, on. Well, uh, let me turn let me turn that down a little bit. Now. On, 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 on Mackinder's World Island, World Alfred Mackinder. Alfred, Macinder, Alfred Macinder. Who's a geopolitical. Theorist, the geography guy and MP in the early part of the twentieth century. But well, he came up with this thing about about uh, Eastern Eastern Europe being the key to domination of Europe and Asia.
3: Ah, interesting. Well, they do say like all the um, the headquarters pretty much are all around that area. Um, the who the I think it's, um, damn, what's in the, the list? There's a major list of big players that it Norway. Is it Norway, I think? Yeah, I reckon it's Norway.
0: Uh, world Health Organization's Geneva, I think it's Switzerland.
3: Geneva. Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, around Geneva, there's a lot of shenanigans going on there with world power behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, Switzerland's a key player. Hmm.
3: Yeah, Switzerland. It's funny that even the um, in the Bible that talks about the deceit um, of Satan mentions that spot as well. Or the right. Of Satan. right, Yeah, yeah. Geneva. Yeah, the Geneva Convention.
0: That is where the. Where the Templars went at the end of the Crusades when they were being persecuted.
3: Oh, there you go. Maybe there's a big connection there, then, by the sounds of it? I
0: would think so. I would think
1: so.
3: I think, um, where's the Bilderbergs? They're from there as well, aren't they? Where's Bilderberg, um...
0: Bilderberger's uh, bit was it's Dutch, so Dutch. It's a Dutch hotel.
3: Dutch hotel. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had the Dutch, what was that, that um, shipping company? Dutch East Yeah,
0: East Dutch East India company.
3: company. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that bloke talk that you're mentioning.
0: I'll I'll post a link. but it's, it's there's a lot of there's quite a lot of material because it's it's standards kind of international relations, international relations stuff. stuff. I mean, it's the early, days of, the early days of international relations. But he he came up with a theory that explains explains the Ukraine war at the very least.
3: Is he in favor of Ukraine or Russia? Does he have any side to, to the whole situation?
0: Oh, yeah, I think he's, he's been dead about 50 years, so I don't know. 50 years,
3: so I don't know. What do you think about the situation over there? I'm suspicious.
0: Uh, I'm, uh, I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious. Well, obviously the, the propaganda we're getting in the West is just complete nonsense. But uh, but Russia's Putin's Putin's a, a World Economic Forum young global leader from years ago. So I've got
3: to go. He's
0: connected into all the people who, who are doing all of, all of this stuff now. Yep.
3: I just got to go for a couple of minutes, mate. I'll I'll come back and um and see you in a sec. I just got a phone call.
0: Yeah, no worries. Yeah, no
3: worries. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, I'll just get out of here. Um, yep. Yeah. All, right. All right, I got gotcha. you. Hey. <laughs> well,
1: I hope they didn't hear what I. said. all right
0: while he's while he's on his phone call i'll play the rest of this video shut this
1: down. it's only got another what seven minutes additionally the heartland center position meant that the hook upwards were only a short ride away from
2: any part of the rimland the Huns struck at Western Europe, the Turks at the Middle East, Tamerlane at India, and the Manchus at China. The Mongols, of course, attacked all four regions, and in doing so, achieved near domination of the world island. Heartland nomads thus terrorized the Rimlands, but without modern states or large populations, they could not fully dominate the populous coast. This was even more the case by 1900, with forces of classified citizenship. Industrial might was needed in order to construct the heartlands equivalent to riverland naval mobility, which was rail. The thesis argues that rail-based mobility is superior to naval mobility. Firstly, a navy needs bases on land to repair and refuel, and its range would be vastly restricted to the land power ever take them. Secondly, naval power projection requires transiting at ports, and so a comparable rail movement, especially a direct one, is generally going to be faster. Lastly, the development of air power benefits land powers, who can now attack ships and deny access to waterways from land. The thesis envisions that under an industrial power, the heartland would be overlaid with rail and road and when that happened, its rulers would once again possess superior mobility and strategic flexibility over the rimland. The political situation on the world island would thus revert back to the fifteen hundred configuration only this time with an industrial power taking the place of the nomads and capable of actually conquering the rimlands and dominating the world islands. Thus, the second statement in Mephinder's triad, who rules the heartland, commands the world islands. So who could these potential rulers be? In 1904, the answer was Russia. With its increasing industrial powers, Russia would eventually railroad over the heartland and then send its army into the Rimlands. One successful thrust into Arabia would split the Rimland, allowing the defeat of Europe, Asia, and India. And with the World Islands under control, it would only be a matter of time before Russia built a gigantic navy and conquered the Elder islands as well. But by 1919, Russia's collapse had caused Makinder to look elsewhere. While the heartland is surrounded by natural barriers on its northern, southern, and eastern flanks, its western flank Eastern Europe opened gently onto the North German plain. Eastern Europe was thus the doorway to the heartland, and any conquest was likely to begin from that direction and, if successful, would see the heartland come under new rule. Thus, the first statement in McKinner's triad who rules East Europe commands the heartland. Unsurprisingly, McKinder saw Germany here as a prime candidate for a heartland dominance. Mackinder also noted in 1904 that the China that conquered or allied with Russia could also become a hardline ruler. Such a combination would also be very dangerous, as China already possessed a significant coastline and thus could combine both the superior mobility of the hardline with the extensive reach of naval power. Whatever the identity of the hardline power, its geographic advantages make it a latent threat to all nations. But the hardline thesis is meant to be a warning. Not an inevitability. Mackinder intended it to inform British policy and proposed remedies to prevent the heartland power from achieving world domination. Firstly, the heartland separation from the ocean is both an advantage and a disadvantage. It cannot be touched by neighbors, but neither can it initially create one that challenges riverland maritime dominance. Riverland power should therefore prevent the heartland power from acquiring more warm water coastlines. In particular, defending the Middle East is of critical importance, given its position as a key note for maritime communications. Secondly, the hard line should be kept divided and small. The unifying effects of low line steppe can be overcome with sustained action. In this vein, Mackinder in 1919 advocated the establishment and production of new Eastern European states, who formed a buffer zone separating Russia from Germany and vice versa. In addition, rimland power should ensure that the seas of the World Island remain open to their navies. Since the Heartland is defined by its inaccessibility to naval power, closure of semi enclosed seas like the black, red, or Baltic would effectively extend the heartland and deliver more land than did the heartland powers embrace. Lastly, even a strong heartland can be balanced out by rimland alliances. The Vermland powers still all the more productive parts of the world islands, and combined, their strength can overcome the part of the geographic advantage. In nineteen forty-three, Mackinder saw the building up of India and China as helpful towards achieving such balance. Of particular importance was the Midland Ocean Alliance, proposed by Mackinder in nineteen forty-three, consisting of the Americas and league with Western Europe. Macinder noted that such an alliance would combine the industrial strength. Former with the geographic position of the latter, ensuring that any heartland attempt at domination would result in cost and effective intervention. Ultimately, is Mackinder's Heartland thesis correct? Clearly, the thesis simplifies the world's geography, overestimates the efficiency of land transport, and while it does not expect Heartland powers to dominate the world island overnight, neither Imperial Russia, nor the Soviet Union, nor Nazi Germany ever came close to doing so though, of course, one could argue that this would well be to coordinate the Grimland opposition. One can accept most of the thesis's assumptions and still come to different conclusions, as Spikeman did with his the Grimland theory, or Househopper with his pseudo-nastic jubile But perhaps the heartland has simply not yet found the right master to fully exploit this potential. Perhaps it would take fully industrialized China, or India, or more, to finally squeeze the Grimland away. Either way, right or wrong, the Hardline Thesis has had significant influence on in geopolitical thinking, and its discussion remains relevant to this day. Thanks for watching today.
1: video. Thesis, Halford MacKinder, and I in.
0: All right. I don't know whether South man's coming back or not, so I may well wrap this up at this point. I think I've got most of what, most in what I wanted to get in.